Welcome to On the Other Side, where we talk crypto, culture, and society, and how crypto might shape society and change how real humans live their actual lives. Every week, we have on cool people from the crypto world to talk about what they're building and what the implications of that might be for real human beings. Today, I'm so excited to chat with Matthew Chaim from SongCamp. Before we hop into the show, I want to give a quick thank you to the first sponsor of On the Other Side, Rabbit Hole. Rabbit Hole is allowing users to earn crypto while they explore the weird world of Web3, guiding new users down the crypto rabbit hole in a curated way to make sure that people coming into the space are not only using positive sum protocols, but are also starting to build their on-chain resume as they do it. So the longer-term vision for Rabbit Hole is building essentially the open credentialing system for Web3. To build that credentialing system, it's important that they're decentralized. And so the Pathfinder program is paving the way for decentralizing Rabbit Hole and creating an open system built by the community, not by a single team. If you're interested in learning more about Rabbit Hole, check out Rabbit Hole at rabbithole.gg. You can also check them out on Twitter, rabbithole underscore gg. And if you're interested in learning more about the Pathfinder program, which is the first step to the Rabbit Hole DAO, you can check it out at rabbithole.gg slash pathfinder. All right, let's hop into the show. I am here with Matthew Chaim from SongCamp. Matthew, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, Chase. I'm super excited to chat about collective creation and all the really interesting things that happen when you put a bunch of people together in a DAO and have them build cool shit. Before we go into all of that, do you want to give a little bit of background on how you fell down the crypto rabbit hole and what you're working on? Yeah, so I'm a musician and, and like singer-songwriter first and foremost, and have been focused on my own individual artist project under my own name for many years now. And around the time that COVID took over our lives, I moved back to Montreal, where I'm from. I was living in LA, doing the singer-songwriter thing there. And I came back here, and, and an old friend of mine, a, a good friend of mine who I grew up with, had been dabbling in this space for years, since like maybe 2016, 17. And I knew, you know, the word Ethereum in the back of my head through him, but didn't really know anything about it. And then when I got back, I was living in a building right next to his. So we, and you know, there was nothing to do because this was like peak pandemic quarantine time. So we just could go for really walks. And on those walks, he started talking to me a lot about what he was doing. I started learning about the decentralized exchange DeFi world. And it was a funny entry point to all this stuff because I was learning about L2 DEXs, like layer two decentralized exchanges, which is deep down in the piping. Um, but then he started talking to me about digital art and, and this like crypto art that people are buying and selling. And I was like, what are you talking about? And my mind went on tilt, like all of our minds do when we first learn about NFTs. And But in those conversations, you know, I was always interested in how does this stuff reach the level of the artists or the creators or just like, how does this come up from the piping and onto the street level and into our society? Because I could feel the, even just the energy with which he was working and the empowering energy that these like decentralized worlds were bringing. And then how does this reach my world? The things that I was interested in, which is art and, and culture. And for many years, just being my own manager, I always liked wearing the kind of business hat, if you will, of my own artist project. And so I saw a lot here. And then when he started telling me about, and I started researching NFTs, that's when I really fell deep down the rabbit hole, like last summer into late last year, and have been falling ever since, and just like gobbling up everything I can related to this new kind of paradigm, new technology, and 
followed along as Zora went from like these cryptic tweets into becoming what it is. And and I remember like going on early day, like mirror Figma design, like live streams, not even sure what mirror was and and to look back now where, where things are today. So just I was able to watch these new kind of things evolve and learn from them. And then through all that began song camp, just on a late night whim. One night in, in April, I threw this discord up called song camp, partly because of all the stuff I was learning and wanting to put some of the stuff into action and just start experimenting at the edges of music and web three, but also because the word song camp has always been in my head for many years, actually, to do a project under that name because songwriting camps had a huge impact on my life and career as an artist. They really took me up and out of my comfort zone with the two producers I was working with and really up and out of Montreal proper into these camps where I met a lot of musicians and saw the potential for collaboration and how much it can stretch my own self-imposed creative ceilings, <laughs> kind of shot those off. So songwriting camps really always stuck with me. I just had this thought to sandwich all that together and, and start something. And, and since then have been running just these experiments with that community, experimenting at these Web3 edges of music and this new internet and all the kind of tech rails that they allow us to do to empower the artists, to make us feel a lot closer to not just the financial upside, but also just like the release, the way that you publicize this stuff and, and, and put it out there feels a lot closer and it feels a lot more natural for the artist to like almost hold all those paintbrushes that I've always loved to hold, but now it, it's even more fun. So yeah, and, and since April, we've ran two experiments, one looking a lot like a songwriting camp with Song Camp Genesis. And then we just finished up Song Camp Electra, which was a much bigger project that was more of a, not only a songwriting camp, but like a world building camp, which I'm sure we can get into more. Yeah, I'm a big fan of a lot of the things that you've experimented with at Song Camp. And it was really interesting to see Electra as sort of the evolution of Song Camp and, and different experiments. So definitely want to dive into all of that. But before we go there, I really like this idea of holding these different paintbrushes. And I think it's super interesting to think about how that makes you closer and maybe almost feel more connected to the creative process or the work. Can you talk more about that? I think that's super interesting. Yeah, this also came off the bat of the first songwriting camp, actually, that I ever went on, which was in 2017. And, and like I said, it really just changed my entire perspective on like the potential of my creative output and my ability to collaborate with others. And I think it was because, I, I mean, A, I just took to the structure of it. Like It was like, make a song every day for five days, which I thought wasn't possible. But then, of course, it was. And we made like not only five songs in five days, and there were like, six groups. So there were probably like 30 odd songs that were created in five days and a lot of them incredible. So that was just mind blowing. And, and that fast and fun energy that I so resonated with is just stripped away after the fact, because the songwriting camp ends and I figured, oh my God, this music needs to get out there because, you know, we love listening to it. And then fast forward four or five years later, like I think two of those 30, maybe 36 songs have actually been released through commercial means and onto Spotify and whatnot. And that's just like a huge disappointment. <laughs> and, you know, asking the question, like, why does that happen? A lot of these songs are written by artists who have publishers and this music just gets lost in this sea of industry and doesn't find its way out the door. And even the songs that do, it takes years and years for them to come out or 
even for the songs that you do put out quote unquote right away, you usually like need to you put together a whole campaign. You got like you you have your distributor and your PR and all these things and you got to get it to your distributor like 60 days before you release a song and it, it all just feels like bulky and bloated and you need millions upon millions of streams to feel like you're moving the needle at all and even if you get a few million streams like relatively that's not even going to move the needle that much for you on such a financial level and so it just feels so far away everything feels so far away both like the road to your sort of quote-unquote success and just like from the bottling of that creative energy to the releasing of it and to the feedback loop from actually being able to put this out in the public. And I think that's very harmful for artists because artists need feedback. Like feedback informs our own work. And even if you're creating from a place inside and you're not trying to optimize to get on the radio or optimize for the most people to like your music, feedback is important. And so I think a lot of us, and I resorted to this as a musician, is like I got feedback from sharing demos to my friends from sharing like the music early to the closest people to me when the music is most resonant for me which is like me listening to the song you know right after the session type thing and by the time you end up putting out the song it's like it, that resonance is already you know it's already expired for you because it was so long ago and i think here we have this opportunity with web3 in that everything just feels so much closer it's so much closer because we're not solving for this reach of millions upon millions of streams, but we're solving for resonance. And we need a handful of people or even one person or two people to really resonate with it, to actually get that feedback, but also even get that empowerment in terms of realizing some value for your work and being able to sustain yourself. And so that was really like the kind of driver of that first experiment with Song Camp Genesis was, let's do a two week camp online, two week songwriting camp, make three songs, but let's not let the fast and fun energy end there. Let's create visuals for this in the same time. And then a week later, let's auction these off as, as NFTs. Let's create a, an event around it. And sure enough, it was like incredibly fun and incredibly empowering. And, and, and a bunch of artists who'd never put out an NFT before had someone bid on their NFT in the opening seconds of them being released. And that's just like an incredible energy to experience. Now, I'm not saying that these one-of-one one NFT auctions are like the end-all be-all of Web3. I think there's like millions upon millions of other experiments and iterations that were able to use these tools to embed different sorts of business models and different sorts of value realization. But now we have the paintbrushes to do it because we have these tech rails and it becomes more of a creative space rather than this bloated industry space. And, and that's what's like incredibly exciting for me. Yeah, that's so wild. And I think the feedback loop and almost what feels like building in public in a way, bringing creators, whether it's closer to the community who's consuming it or other ecosystems of creators is super powerful. I'm really curious in that context, how you think about like, quote unquote, audiences or consumers of art, music, whatever it might be and how that relationship, if at all, changes in Web3? Yeah, it's a good question and something that's been on my mind a lot lately. I, and, and maybe I have, I don't know if this is a radical opinion or not. I find, especially in the last few days or week, especially with this loot project that's come to the fore, I think to me, there's been like this explosion almost that's gone off in, in like this Web3 NFT space and feels like there's this new kind of mind shift tilt 
that's happening. And I, I feel from my own perspective, it's almost like my ears are still ringing of that explosion. The dust is still settling. <laughs> and, and so I don't have these fully formed thoughts around what you're saying, because I feel like new ones are, are sort of developing. And where they kind of center around is like, you know, we have these conversations about if music or any art, but let's focus on music, is going to move to Web3. It's going to eventually find its way here. And what is the artist to fan relationship going to turn into? And of course, I, I don't think that relationship goes away, but I have this young, still nascent opinion that's forming around this idea that the the fan or the audience isn't just the fan anymore. That, that Like that fan to artist relationship isn't as it was. And that we're moving to a place where we're like, we're all going to make stuff or a lot more people, I would say, are have the ability to make stuff and just participate. And whether that means from a very fan base level, you know, we've spoken about DAOs and how they can create empowerment for super fans to almost sustain themselves and lift off that fandom and, and remix the kind of work or, or fan work, artwork off of the artists that they love, or just like pushing that music. It could also be just them amplifying it and actually receiving something for that amplification. But I actually go one deeper in the sense that I think quote unquote audience-based tools are moving more and more to creation. So, you know, on Instagram, we like follow our favorite artists, but then we also post our own images. And now on TikTok, we're actually like remixing everything. In that sense, like everyone's creating stuff. And now we go one deeper with something like loot. It feels like we're now all just given the raw materials to make stuff together. And we have these incentive alignment rails to make that a sustainable thing. So yeah, like my vision for this stuff, it tends to be much more just like artist centric. It's, it's much more, how do we create stuff together? How do we make stuff together? Then what are we creating for the audience? And I think that's because our audience is going to be remixers. The artist audience is becoming more and more artists. So that's where that's, like my thoughts are forming around there. <laughs> that's super interesting. And it feels like what Lou demonstrated is when you give people a relatively blank canvas and say, do whatever you want, you're going to get this remixing and creation and almost compounding of culture in ways that an individual or a single team would just never be able to do. Do you think that changes how artists and specifically, you know, in this context, talking about musicians and people creating music, do you think that will change how they see what they're creating and how they perceive sort of the process of like creation? Yes. I definitely do. I think even from the base standpoint of we saw it in Camp Genesis and Camp Electro, which is we took away the individualistic model of called Web2, you know, and I was in that too, where I like cared solely or cared mostly and my majority of my attention and focus was always on Matthew Chain. That's the name of, that's my name, but that's also like the name of my, my catalog on Spotify and, and all these other things. And that's what I cared about and making music for that and making it matter for that and fitting into that image that I was creating. And, and I think a lot of people were in the same boat. And then we threw in this project where we just created new band names out of the teams that were created in the songwriting camp. And then we took that a step further with Electra where we're like literally building character names and stuff and, and, and building backstory for these people in this world called Electra. So it sort of like makes these artists headless. Like it's not being put under their name or the the same brand that they've been building for the last years or what have you. And it really like just unlocks this power because it, it unlocks this creative like freedom 
for them to just do whatever they want to do without it needing to fit some sort of mold of what they've been building. And I think that goes, yeah, exponentially further as we get deeper and deeper down into these things where it's like something like loot where, okay, now we're just given these raw materials and we can build whatever we want on top of it. I think more and more of that happens such that like, <clears throat> we just feel like we're, we can create what we want to create and add to a bigger story larger than ourselves. And through that, we're just able to, I think, have a sense of community and belonging because we're creating for something that other people are creating for too. We can really create like culture and community out of that. And then also just like a freedom to do what you want because not only are you free to just put it under whatever, it doesn't need to be your name. You can make up your own name. You can remix someone else's work. You can take your work and put it with 80 other people's works. And that's under some bigger brand or name. Like the, the opportunities are endless, but not only that, these things, they're amorphous. They, you can be a part of this project and then that dissolves and then enter a new one. So I feel like the whole nature of creating art or creating music can look a, a whole lot different or it already is looking a whole lot different. I don't think the artists building their individual careers goes away. Like we love loving human beings and we love live shows and people, all this stuff. But I do think that there's going to be like a major cultural shift towards collective creation is really what like sums that whole idea up. It reminds me in some ways of anonymity. You know, it's not completely that. And maybe people who are making music don't actually go sort of completely anon. But it reminds me of this impact of anonymity where people are able to express themselves fully. And you even see this on crypto Twitter where people feel like they can be themselves and say what they feel is true when they're anon. And the impact of that on creative work is super interesting. It's kind of blowing my mind a little bit because... I hadn't considered that. It does feel like, though, when you're collaborating with people, regardless of if you're anon or under your own sort of uh, brand name, I'm super interested in this concept of the fact that creativity and human collaboration is just messy. Um, I'm curious how you think about structure and creating those containers in a way that's structured enough, but also sort of allows for like the chaos of human creation. Yeah. So again, like also really thinking a lot about this and off two things, one being off the heels of the electric camp and what went down there for the last two months and how it was structured. And now we just started getting back feedback from everyone. So we put out this like big, like feedback form for people to fill out so we can really get an idea of how people felt and what it was like to be a part of this project. And then also, again, feeling into what's happening with loot. Those two things are really informing these kind of thoughts of like, collective creation and it's messy and let alone that, but just like a bunch of human beings coming together and working on something together and getting paid for that work and finding like belonging in that group. Like that is, we're humans, like it's messy and it's not perfect. And the camp was extremely successful, but it was also challenging, very challenging. And I think by the end of two months, like we were burnt out. I was definitely burnt out and I know that others were burnt out. And I think there's, going to be a ton of insight to harvest as to why that came to be. And I think like already I can feel into a bit of it because we're also in this interesting space when we have DAOs, these decentralized organizations where there either is no center or there's like different forms of, of organizational structure. And, I, and we're still just so young in that 
experimental phase that we're just learning how these things even work. And then we see something like loot that is like hyper decentralized, or at least so far it is. I'm, I'm really hoping it, it stays that way. But it's like, there really is, there's no center, or at least in my opinion, there shouldn't be, but there's like just decentralized groups and clusters popping up, building on top of this very primitive layer. And I think that one of the things that we're receiving feedback wise on, on Camp Electra is like, we created these containers, these frameworks for us to create in, but then we left a lot of them open and we wanted people to fill in and, and also people take organic leadership. And that did happen in, in amazing ways and like some incredible bonds were formed. But I think also actually like having almost tighter containers in the sense that like having very clear scope and expectations and kind of leadership would have helped give everyone a, a feeling of structure sort of thing. And, and a lot of that stuff we had to stand up as we went. Whereas on the loot side, it feels much more like people are just seeing what other people are doing and like working on. And you could just link up with these people and work together. I actually think we're going to head into a place where there's going to be both extremes, if you will, of having people working in like very decentralized way where there is no core and there's no like sort of central admin, HR, payroll place to turn to. That's like, to me, like the hyper decentralized organization in the sense that we are just clusters organizing ourselves. So for instance, within the loop thing, like I'm writing a story for loop right now, I'm writing like a short story. And I found someone who made some artwork for loop and they put out like some object artwork on OpenSea. So I just bought those NFTs. Cause I'm like, I'm gonna use these NFTs as my artwork for my story. And now I'm like remixing his stuff and I buy his NFTs cause I'm gonna like bring more value to them. And that's one way of connecting transactionally with this person. Whereas I think groups building together need structure. So these clusters can form together and have a very clear scope and structure with clear leadership. And then all of these other nodes are just like individuals or, or other clusters of groups and they find ways of working together. Does that make sense? <laughs> yeah, it's almost like collective creation, like truly collective creation where you are working with a group of people to make an output essentially requires more structure than individual creations that compound in a weird way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because actually at the individual creation level, people have their own structures. They're just in their heads. So it's almost like mm -hmm. any amount of creation probably requires structure, but you have to explicitly state it and explicitly create it in these like containers when it's a group of people yeah. because it's not inherently already existing in their brains. Yeah, exactly. We had ideas at the beginning of Camp Electra to make things super structured. So what that could look like in terms of more structured containers is set everything up, know what your scope is, know what the output is, and then set up very clear bounties for people to go after. And that's how things work. What we also see is things aren't cut and clear, right? It's not like this is where this scope ends and this is where another one begins. Collective creation, especially collective art creation is messy. So like having room for that is so important too. So yeah, it's definitely like a balance, but also I think there's something to really be said for the fact that Web3 Rails allow us to take a vision and execute it with a hive mind group of people with incredible containers put into place so that people feel like they know what they're holding and they know 
what they're exposed to and they know where their incentives are, are at. Like we ran into problems because those things weren't cut and clear during camp. So we had to have a lot of those conversations during camp and we'd get into these long conversations with lots of people. And of course, things change during camp such that like people step up and start doing a lot more work. And, and then you have to like figure that stuff out on the fly versus having incredible expectation design really is I think really important. Recognizing the, the power of expectations. And if those containers are clear going into camp, I know my scope, I know my incentives, I know these things. I have expectations that are aligned with what I'm actually going to experience. Yeah, that's really interesting. Expectation alignment and designing systems for expectations, I think is something that in the DAO space is super underexplored. Like even the transience of some of these things where someone might come in and provide value for a certain amount of time and then either that might not be a priority anymore or the type of work that they like doing is the work that they've done and so they're ready to step back. Having that flexibility, I think, is huge and something that is definitely like getting figured out. How are you now thinking, knowing how that all played out about structuring something like bounties and this atomized work? I don't have like full answers for that just yet. I, I want to definitely experiment with bounties because we didn't really experiment this time around. Our containers were really creating groups. We created teams and those containers really worked in, in a lot of ways, some more than others, but some like incredible cultures were just organically grown because we created these containers for these 10 people to work together and share in this scope. But I think, yeah, experimenting with bounties, I think would be amazing. And also just feeling into this idea of, I don't want to be, for instance, in a position where I or a select few people at the center are deciding what work is valuable, especially after the fact, especially as it's happening. Maybe if we set up this like thing, we have this vision for it and we say, this is our budget and we break it all down and then we like disperse these bounties and people, again, the expectations are put out there, on, like we front run that. But I think something like Coordinate, which we experimented with at the end of camp, which allows everyone to decide how value moves around the camp by everyone kind of giving tokens to everyone that represent like a slice of the value of the camp. That was a much more democratic or flat way of doing that. And I think that's something that could actually scale in the DAO space because even in camp, you know, we had 42 people and suddenly this person and that person are suddenly working on something together that I don't even know about. Like, it doesn't make sense for me to be the one to decide how value moves around because I don't even know what's happening everywhere. The nodes are like too dynamic. So in that same sense, you need something that accounts for that. And having something like coordinate where value can flow much more freely and, and flat through the group, that's the type of solution that, that works when you're not setting up these like bounties on the front end. Yeah. And also probably provides a lot more flexibility in terms of just how things unfold where you don't have to have the set work and instead it's just we know that we're working towards this broader goal people know what their skills are and then you see what happens and then assess the value creation rather than doing it right in the beginning which i'm sure has some benefits but on that yeah. front i'm super curious how you think about the role of some of these financial pieces being more explicitly defined because it does feel like there's a potential for it to change at least some of maybe the motivation or even like the mental model, not necessarily in the best ways, but like I'm curious if you think that essentially these financial incentives will end up shifting the way that artists see the process of creation. Yeah. I think it's interesting to think about from the context of these experiments within Song Camp, where the first camp 
we have no expectations because we just were 13 people coming together to make some music and like, we're going to put them out as NFTs. We have no idea if anyone's going to buy these things. And so expectations were very free. And I think people felt very free to just create. I think in the second camp, there were some expectations, especially those who followed the first camp and saw the results of it. So there's some base level expectations of what's going to come. And then throughout the camp, we're, you know, releasing stuff. Also, we did a crowdfund that, that raised like a successful amount of ETH. I think those sort of do for sure, to some extent, inform our work or the way that we're relating to the project. That's probably a very good question to be focused on as we go through our feedback from the camp and work on like, how do you make it so that whatever those expectations are or whatever that incentive is, how does it best align with the person just making what they want to create? I think people did feel a lot of creative fulfillment through the second camp and, and got to work on art that they really just enjoy working on. Again, from that level of just creating with people and not having to make it sound like Matthew Chaim or whatnot. But I really think this also brings me back to this loot project of seeing this thing where we have this kind of canvas to build on top of, and there are economic incentives attached to it at these primitive layers, whether it be like the loot NFTs, or the MLoot NFTs, or the Venture Gold. And it, of course, it, it requires for people to stand up games or economies around this stuff so that those things have meaning and matter but it feels like it's really in the hands of the creators to be able to do that. So for instance, back to my example, I felt so excited to buy these NFTs, knowing that I could use them in my story and my story is just gonna give them a whole lot more meaning and make them matter. And that's like really exciting. It feels so empowering. So I think that is a way that these financial incentives do inform what I'm doing, but they're very aligned with me exploring my creativity in ways that really excite me. And I think for that sort of alignment to take place is a huge success, I think, for, for Web3. And I think that's what we should be focused on with future projects and making sure those things are running parallel. Yeah, I had Sirsu on the podcast a couple episodes ago, and he was talking about this way that crypto almost catalyzes culture in that way where you can really like build on top of other people's ideas, but in this way that gives them the value too. Like it's really, I think a way of making two plus two equals five, which is really cool. This has been a super interesting conversation. I so appreciate you coming on the show. Before we wrap up, I have a segment at the end that is, what is your favorite thing in your wallet? It can be a token, an NFT, anything, but what's your favorite thing in your wallet? My favorite thing in my wallet. I mean, my, my mind goes to two NFTs. I don't know if I can have a tie, but the first one that comes to mind is I have an X copy from a drop on Nifty Gateway a while back. I think I got it on secondary actually um, after the drop. And it was like the base one, like it has addition of a lot, like 5,000 or something. But I just love X copy. To me, like when I think about crypto art and especially that word, like I say, instead of NFT art, like to me, there's this like culture or idea in my head that's called crypto art. And it feels already nostalgic to me in terms of like less than a year ago, but it's still that idea feels nostalgic to me. And I think it'll only grow. And to me, X copy is at the center of that movement. X copies work is crypto art to me. So I really love that piece. And then the other one that comes to mind is the first NFT that I ever collected, which was a Roger Kilimanjaro lava popsicle he did a series of popsicles on rareable and i picked up the lava popsicle and that was my first nft and i love it 
I love it. So both nostalgic in a way. And I totally agree, actually. I think a lot of crypto feels nostalgic now because we know that we're onto something so big, but also culturally something that's so dense. And there's just like a lot of depth to crypto culture, which I think is so interesting. Um, where can people find you? Um, I spend most of my time on Twitter and Discord these days. So I'm at Matthew Chame on Twitter and you can find me on the SongCamp Discord. I'm always there. And yeah, SongCamp Twitter is at SongCamp underscore. Amazing. Thank you so much for coming on the show. It was so good to chat. I'm really glad, especially in the context of Loot, that we got to, to chat about all of the, the stuff that you're doing at SongCamp. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's fun to get into the weeds with, with all this stuff. If you like what you heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe to the podcast. I always forget to do this for podcasts I like, but it's actually super useful. Also, if anything resonated with you or if you want to continue the conversation, hit me up on Twitter. I'm at Chaser Chapman. I absolutely love talking about these things. Thanks again for listening.